0: Thank you for joining us for the midweek Bible study with Dr. David Wilson. Now let's join Dr. Wilson for a more in-depth study of the Word of God. All right, folks, we're going to finish Ephesians tonight, and um, we're going to begin reading in verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, amen. We've been looking at the belt of truth, I mean, excuse me, the armor of God, which begins with the belt of truth. Let me remind you quickly, and then we're going to look at the secret weapon that God has given us. The belt of truth protects us from error. Truth, we want to know truth. That, you know, we hunger for that today. You don't know who to believe. Anything you read now is suspect because you don't know if it's fake news, if it's real. You don't know if it's truth or not, but we know God's truth is real and that Jesus is truth. And so, one of the things that holds all things together is the belt of truth, then the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about how positionally we are in Christ. We are in his righteousness, not our own, because our own righteousness is as filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. But also the practical righteousness keeps us from sin. We want to live in God's righteousness. And the shoes of the gospel of peace bring stability The real gospel brings peace. You know that you know you've been saved. You know that you know Jesus is the Savior of the world, and it gives you support and assurance. You have the shield of faith, which means that we claim God's promises, and we believe God, and we connect with God's people and claim his power. We we stand on the promises of God. Someone ought to write a song about that. And then we put on, it says take the helmet of salvation, which keeps us from doubting. Whenever we have doubts, you remember you're not saved by your feelings, you are saved by your faith. And you trust God. Even when you don't trust yourself, you still trust God. The helmet of salvation defends us from doubt, but it also transforms our thinking. We're renewed in our minds. And then the sword of the Spirit we we looked at the comprehensive, which is the word of God, the comprehensive word of God, and then the certain word of God. It, not only do we look at it as, as a big overarching body of truth, a sword of God's word, but then when we get to the Rima, remember when I talked to you about how you, you'll read something and it's like God says this verse is for you right here. You need this, this is encouraging to you. And it's the, the sword of the spirit. We, we use the, the sword as the offensive weapon. We use it to battle Satan and his fiery darts. Now, if Paul were writing the book of Ephesians today and comparing our pieces of spiritual armor to the types of armor and weapons used in our army today, I think he would have a very ready illustration of what the next weapon is. I call it the believer's secret weapon. This weapon's been used in wars like the Korean War, the Vietnam War, Desert Storm, the war in Iraq. It's the perfect example of the last piece of armor. And that modern equivalent would be air support. Now if you were in the infantry, you would want to have air support. Because when a platoon is under heavy fire, they call in air support. They get on the radio, they give the coordinates, and they say, we need some bombs dropped over here as quickly as possible. Jets fly over, bombs drop on the coordinates. Now, our air support is from the Lord, obviously. And we have the opportunity to ask for help from above, from the Lord himself. It's not enough for a Christian soldier to know the enemy and just put on the equipment. You complete knowledge of the enemy and the best equipment are worthless unless the soldier possesses the energy to face the enemy and use the equipment. How do you use all of that? Well, prayer is behind the Christian's armor. First of all, it's in prayer that you put it on. It's also prayer that makes the armor work. And it's also prayer that helps the entire army. Now, a lot of people have such a shallow view and understanding of prayer. They are like the little boy who was saying his bedtime prayers with his mother. And he said, Lord, bless mommy and daddy. And God, give me a new bicycle. His mom said, John, God's not deaf. He said, I know mom, but grandma's in the next room and she's hard of hearing. <laughs> A lot of times we don't think God even cares about what we want, so we're gonna to try to get it another way. Well, I want you to notice several things about the secret weapon. Notice the forms of prayer. In verse 18, praying always with all prayer. Now that sounds kind of strange but the word prayer refers to general requests. Praying always with all general requests and supplication. Supplication refers to those specific requests. In other words, both words are used to point to the idea that we're to be involved in all kinds of prayer. There are a lot of different kinds of prayer. There are many ways to pray. You can pray publicly. You can pray privately. Sometimes we cry out in a loud voice. Sometimes it's a whisper. Sometimes it's silent. Sometimes our prayers are deliberately planned when we meet together and we pray for specific things. Sometimes prayers are spontaneous. Sometimes you're sitting down. Sometimes you're standing. Sometimes you're kneeling. Sometimes you're even lying down. I got amused at three pastors or ministers that were discussing the best positions for prayer. And while they were talking about it, there was a telephone repairman who was in the office nearby. One of the pastors said, Kneeling is the definite best way to pray. And another one said, No, I get the best results standing with my hands outstretched to heaven. And the third pastor said, you're both wrong. The most effective prayer position is lying prostrate face down on the floor. Repair man said, guys, I hate to interrupt this, but the best praying I ever did was hanging upside down on a telephone pole. <laughs> the position is not the most important thing it's the fact that you're involved in it. You can pray at home. You can pray at church. You can pray while you're working. You can pray while you're traveling. You pray with hands folded, hands raised, eyes open, eyes closed, with head bowed or erect. You can pray wherever we, you are and in whatever situation you are in. Now, if you're not careful, you say the same thing every time. Can you imagine talking to your spouse or talking to somebody you know, and every time you said the very same thing to them? Do you all remember Dick Van Dyke, the actor? He told the story of a little girl who was asked by her mother if she had said her nighttime prayers, and she said, yes, mom. But when I got down on my knees, I began to think that God hears the same old stuff every night, so I told him the story of the three bears instead. (laughs) And I'm sure God smiled. And talking with people about prayer, because sometimes people don't think that God answers. And in the book, Too Busy to Pray, the pastor said, if the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says to go. The point is we need to be involved in prayer. You don't have to have your eyes closed all the time. You don't have to be in a certain position. It's to, you just need to understand that we need to be involved somewhere. Now, you'll notice the frequency of prayer. Praying always in verse 18. Pray at all times. Now, the Jewish people of Paul's day had several prescribed times during the day that they would pray, but the new covenant and the birth of the church brought a whole new dimension to prayer because we're to pray at all times. Now what in the world does that mean? Does that mean I'm supposed to go around within a formal and noticeable way every waking moment to pray without ceasing? No, you can't do that, that's not practical. But it means to live with a continual God awareness and consciousness where everything we see and experience sort of becomes a conversation with God. We live in, live in a deep awareness and a surrender to our Heavenly Father. When we're tempted, we ask for help. When we experience something good, we say, God, thank you for letting me be a part of that. When we meet a lost person, we lift them up by name under our breath saying, God, please help them see you and come to you. It's, it's almost as if God is walking with you all the time and you are aware of that and you can talk to him. Now, he lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. But to have the the, the attitude of prayer, Dennis the Menace is saying his nighttime bed prayers. And with a smile on his face, he's got his eyes closed, and he says, God, that was a great sunset. Thank you for letting me stay awake long enough to see it. Well, just the little things. God, thank you for letting me be a part of that. Thank you for this. You... You walk. You, you live your life with a consciousness that he's with you. Uh, you some, we pray for each individual. And, and, and we pray and for each individual. It becomes a daily, constant, consistent way of living. In any given moment, any given time, you're just a thought or a word away from talking to God. Any time, any time. In a day and age when we pride ourselves of having high-speed connections on our internet, we also have a high-speed instant connection with our Heavenly Father, instantly. Bonnie Collins of West Union, West Virginia said her folks came from Ireland. She said, my father wasn't Catholic but there were 15 of us kids. The Irish thought they ought to have many children. She said, John and Mary Murphy got married but didn't have any children right away, so they talked to their priest about it, and he said, oh, I'm going to Rome, and I'll light a candle for you and pray for you. And he left and went to Rome, but they transferred him to another parish and he didn't come back for 10 or 12 years. And when he came back, the Murphys had 12 kids and she was pregnant again. And he said to Ms. Murphy, I wanna congratulate you and I wanna congratulate your husband John, where is he? And she said, Father, you won't be able to see him for a long time. He's in Rome trying to blow out that candle. When you go to the Psalms, you get get some insight about the approach that David took in praying at all times. In Psalm 4, we're reminded that he prayed before the ending of the day. In Psalm 5, we see him start his day in prayer. In Psalm 6, we see how he prayed after one of his failures. In Psalm 7, you see how David prayed when the pressure was on and he was under attack. In Psalm 8, he prayed when he thought of the creative power of God. In Psalm 9, we see that he prayed in times of joy. In Psalm 10, he prayed when he felt isolated. I'm not going through the 150 of them, okay? But you get an idea that all of the different situations that David prayed, he still prayed. Praying at all times. A constant, conscious prayer awareness of God. And it ought to just come out of you when, when good things happen. It, you ought to just, it ought to just flow out of you. God, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. Or you're about to go into a situation that you're extremely nervous about. Lord, I really need your help right now. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I need your guidance right here. It's just that it's just like you've got this constant companion that you can talk to. That's what he's talking about. That's part of the spiritual warfare. The third thing I want you to see is the force behind prayer. It says in the spirit in verse 17. Excuse me, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. <clears throat> what does that mean? To pray consistent with the Spirit of Christ and His will and His nature. Paul isn't saying this is some kind of special prayer and speaking in tongues and all of that. He's saying you pray because the Holy Spirit in you gives you the power and the ability to pray. You pray consistent with Christ and His nature. Several, Several things. What does it mean? First of all, prayer is a result of the Spirit. It means our prayers are a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We pray and we cry out to God because his spirit lives in us. We can commune with him. We're the creatures, we're the creation Created in God's image, we have his spirit in us. We can commune with God. And as a result of his spirit giving us life, I told you before, when they sinned in the garden, their spirit died. When Jesus comes into your life, his spirit gives you life. We now can pray as a result of the Holy Spirit in our life. And prayer is through the spirit. Look back in chapter two, verse 18. For through him... We both have access by one spirit to the Father. The the Holy Spirit's work allows us to draw near to the Father through Christ. We can relate to him. Prayer is also directed by the Spirit. You may be praying or you may be going through the day and all of a sudden somebody's mind, somebody's name comes to mind. You think, why why am I thinking of them all of a sudden? Or you're praying and and somebody comes up that you hadn't thought about praying for. Where do you think that comes from? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit puts that thought, he stirs our hearts and and our minds to be concerned for the right things. He conforms us to Christ and gives us his desires. I want to pray for his things and we pray for the things that we should. Sometimes we, you know, there's a difference in praying for what we should and what's not gonna happen. (laughs) Mom was listening to her little boy say his prayers and he said, thank you, Father, for Mommy and Daddy and please make Dallas the capital of Texas. (laughs) She was surprised. She said, why did you pray for Dallas to be the capital of Texas? He said, because that's the answer I put on my geography test today. (laughs) Well, a prayer that's directed by the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to pray the right way for the right things. The, the Holy Spirit also intercedes for us. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. Right. Romans eight twenty six says, "Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses." For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to say and what to pray for. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't know how to pray for certain situations. Lord, I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what's best here. You're going to have to guide. And I ask the Holy Spirit, please send it up the way it's supposed to be there. Because as we submit to the Holy Spirit and obey his word and rely on his leading and strength, we'll be drawn into fellowship and close walk with him. He helps us know how to pray. So the force behind it is to pray in the Spirit. He gives you the ability. He leads and guides you and he will even help you when you don't know what to say. He'll even help get it there in the right way. But then, notice the fortitude in prayer. Be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, the word watchful means to be awake, To be be alert, to be watchful, to be attentive. It means to be aware over against being sleepy. It implies an awareness of the problem, an awareness of the promises of God's word so that we can pray intelligently to apply God's word. To be aware of the situation. One of the first things that ought to happen to us is when we're faced with a certain situation, I need to take this to the Lord in prayer. I need to ask God for help. To be awake, it means to be aware of what you are praying for. Do you know what you're praying for sometime? I got amused at a pastor who accepted the call to a church in Kentucky. And this was one of those churches where a lot of the members bred racehorses, sometimes raced them. A few weeks after he had taken uh, over as a pastor, he was asked during a church service to pray for Lucy Gray. So he did. For the next three weeks, he prayed for Lucy Gray. On the fourth Sunday, one of the deacons told him he didn't need to pray for Lucy Gray any longer. He said, why, did she die? He said, oh no, she won the Kentucky Derby yesterday. (laughs) Know what you're praying for and who you're praying for. Be watchful, we need to be aware of our need for the grace of God. We need to pray for those things that we need and we need to give ourselves to prayer, devote ourselves to prayer and we keep alert with all perseverance. I don't know who wrote this, I'm assuming it was a school teacher. But after being interviewed by the school administration, the eager teaching prospect said this, Let me see if I've got this right. You want me to go into that room with all those kids and fill their every waking moment with a love for learning. And I'm supposed to instill a sense of pride in their ethnicity, modify their disruptive behavior, observe them for signs of abuse, and even censor their T-shirt messages and dress habits. You want me to wage a war on drugs and sexually transmitted diseases, check their backpacks for weapons, and raise their self-esteem? You want me to teach them patriotism, good citizenship, sportsmanship, fair play, how to register to vote, how to balance a checkbook, and how to apply for a job? I'm to check their heads for lice, maintain a safe environment, recognize signs of antisocial behavior, make sure all students pass the state exams, even those who don't come to school regularly or complete any of their assignments. Plus, I'm to make sure that all of the students with handicaps get an equal education, regardless of the extent of their mental or physical handicap. I'm to communicate regularly with the parents by letter, telephone, newsletter, and report card. All of this I am to do with just a piece of chalk, a computer, a few books, a bulletin board, a big smile, and a starting salary that won't feed my family. You want me to do all of this, and yet you expect me not to pray in class. Folks, any time you see the word perseverance, like right here in verse 18, or the word persevere, you can almost guarantee that it's something that's not easy. To persevere means I got to keep on doing something that's not easy to do. And typically this command comes because it's so easy to fall away from it. And so Paul writes to them. He said, in this war, you've got to persevere. There's a, you've got to be self-disciplined. There's a healthy prayer life that comes from perseverance. Just like meditating on God's word and using it, you've got to make yourself pray. Don't you wish that you wanted to pray like you want to eat? I'm going to tell you something. I don't have to make myself eat. But to pray, to persevere with all perseverance, we're called to pray and never give up. Jesus even told the story of a, of a woman who came to an unrighteous judge and asked for something and she beat on the door until he fulfilled her request. Well, then he goes on to say, we, we don't have an unrighteous judge in heaven. We have a righteous, loving Father in heaven? How much more should we be motivated to persevere? And in thinking of perseverance, Paul is speaking in terms of warfare. The context here is the war that's going on. We're standing against the wiles of the devil. We're standing against spiritual forces. And he's saying, here's your armor and persevere with the air support. Persevere with prayer. Imagine this. One author describes prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. Now let's imagine that we're soldiers on the front lines in a war. It's pitch black. We are in enemy territory. The enemy has surrounded us and is pressing in. We can hear shells whistling past our heads. Every time a bomb explodes, it lights up the battlefield and we see death everywhere. So we retreat to a foxhole and turn to the communication specialist. He takes out the walkie-talkie and communicates with the base. Now imagine a communication like this. Oh, dear general, how wonderful it is to have you as our general. We confess that we have failed to plan our battles as we ought to and and to fight as valiantly as we should. Thank you for the nice boots. We really like our helmets and our guns. We especially like the nice flags on our jackets. Please help Tommy. He sprained his ankle running over here for cover. Help Billy. He tore his jacket and needs a new one. We would really appreciate it if you'd send some better rations. We're getting tired of MREs. Oh, and the battle's not going well. Please help us to know what to do. Goodbye. Now, that's not what you would do. You would grab that walkie-talkie in the midst of the war, and you would grab it and shout, if you don't send backup, we're going to die. There's a little difference in that prayer and the little trite things that we normally say to God. And you'd keep shouting until some reinforcements came or you were dead. That's what what it means to persevere in prayer. You cry out for help and you don't quit until you get an answer from God, either yes, no, or maybe later, or you die. Now, I know there are times when we praise God and we thank him. I understand that and reflect on who he is, but in this context, Paul is saying... You're in a war. Pray. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. Lord, I don't understand your word. My spirit is weak. If you don't help me, I'm going to die. I mean, you've got to pray with sincerity and perseverance. God, I mean this. I've often told you, you've heard me tell you know what the difference between people who pray in church and pray in casinos People in casinos are serious. God, please let me win, which I don't advocate that, okay? But sometimes when when we pray, we don't even pray. We just sort of recite something. And I want to tell you, there's a difference when you're persevering in prayer. And folks, I want to tell you, we need to be persevering in prayer for our nation We need to pray for the elections. We need to pray for guidance in our nation. Uh, Unless there's some kind of spiritual awakening and people turn to God, there's not any solutions to this. Well, let me show you one more thing, the focus of prayer. He says to pray for all the saints and me. Aren't you glad we're not in a Christian life alone? Aren't you glad you're not the last Christian standing? (laughs) And one of the reasons we like to meet together and one of the joys of meeting together is it reminds us we're not alone. I mean those were some Horrible times when we couldn't meet together. You know, a couple of months there that we couldn't meet together. And when y'all came walking in after all those weeks of not being here, you know, tears filled my eyes. I was just glad to see you. It's something about being in fellowship with other believers and seeing them. And he's saying, we're in a war together. We're not in a Christian life alone. We're part of a family. It includes those in our church and all around the world that sometimes we'll never meet all of the saints, but all the saints, not just the ones you like. Oh, come on. He had to put all in there. He didn't put, pray for the people you like. Jean had been in trouble all day and her mother sent her to the den to think things over, to calm down and she came back in and she said, Mom, I thought and I prayed. Her mom said, Good, that'll help you to be good. She said, Oh, I didn't ask God to help me to be good. I just asked him to help you put up with me. <laughs> well, there are some people you gotta put up with, but pray for them. And then Paul says, And for me. Now, if you had been Paul, would you? what would you have said? Please pray that I get out of prison. And you know, Paul had a lot of physical infirmities. He had a lot of physical problems. Please pray for my poor eyesight or please pray for this or whatever. No. He prayed for the furtherance of the gospel. You'll notice it. He said that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. No pity party for Paul. He knew he was in a war. He knew that he could count on other Christians to pray for him. It was a team affair. It was an army that was fighting. We need the prayers of fellow Christians It's an interesting note. If there was anyone who probably had physical afflictions that needed praying for, it was Paul. But you don't see him bringing that up very often. You don't see him whining about being in prison. He's saying, pray that God will give me the boldness to share the gospel. We need to pray for one another. We really do. Anytime you walk in this room, you have no idea what other people are going through personally in their life. You don't. They may look good, and they may look like they've got it all together, but I would dare say that very few people that come in here on Sunday have it all together. And if you're like me, if you get it all together, you forgot where you put it. (laughs) Nobody's got it all together. The spiritually healthy person is devoted to the welfare of other people. The greatest thing that we can do for one another is to pray for them. And as the body of Christ grows spiritually, we begin to pray for one another and the love grows. Samuel said to his people, this is in 1st Samuel 12:23. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. We are to pray for one another. And if there was ever a time we need each other and to pray for one another, it is now. It is now. We pray for those that we know need Jesus to be saved and we pray for believers to be encouraged. We pray for the protection of our people. We pray for the sick. We pray for those going through hardship, but we just pray for one another. I challenge you, when you come in Sunday, and you're sitting there waiting for things to happen, and you just look around the room, just pick out a couple of people. You may not even know who they are, but God will know, say, Lord, the guy over here in the plaid shirt. Right now, I lift him up to you. I don't know what's going on in his life. But I pray that you'll encourage him today. And I pray that whatever he needs, that you will grant that need. I I challenge you to do that for a couple of people on Sunday. And and to just pray for them, even before the service. Amen? Amen. Well, Keep praying for each other. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to watch more live streams or additional Bible studies, please go to southcrestlive.tv. We hope to see you again next week.